0: Okay. All right. Okay. I didn't think we were having go ye kids, but uh, I guess some of the kids are go ye. Okay. Take your Bibles. Let's turn to, uh, again, a very familiar passage, Romans chapter 10. It's just going to be a starting point. We're going to be literally jumping around the uh, entire New Testament uh, tonight. <clears throat> and a uh, two-fold purpose here. And uh, we certainly won't uh, cover everything here, but uh, the subject of tonight's message is the name of the Lord. And sometimes in the Bible you'll see phrases like this, and they will be used repetitively. And uh, the best way to really understand one of the ways to study your Bible is to just go through the Bible every place something is mentioned. When God says something once, that makes it important. When he repeats it over and over again. And uh, I'm not 100% <clears throat> sure about this, but just did a very brief search and, and uh, came up with 108 instances in your Bible where this phrase, the name of the Lord, is used. That's the whole way from Genesis to Revelation. And tonight, what we're going to do is just deal with the New Testament use of the name of the Lord. Now, uh, you will find, uh, as with anything, there's oftentimes uh, different meanings attached to the same word. We use the word light. Turn on the lights. And yet, we'll say, light the hot water heater. And uh, what we don't mean is turn on a switch. What we mean is get some type of flame and go under and find the pilot and make sure that it's got gas flowing to it and and, and keep it lit long enough to heat up the thermal couple and so that the uh, unit will be self sustaining and the pilot will stay lit but you you have to have fire to get something lit, light the fire you You have to have some kind of spark or tinder to make that thing go and, and so. What you do is just giving some basic guidelines for Bible study here as way of introduction. Then we'll get into the study itself. Is Strong's Concordance? If you do not have one, we sell them in the bookstore. If you you can get it electronically, very inexpensively, either for PC or Macintosh, and just Start going through the Bible and list the verses. You have to take them out and all of a sudden you're going to find out that there's going to be some similarities. If there's different meanings of words, there's going to be uh, uh, categorizing this. And what happens is as we assemble the way that God uses a word or uses a phrase in the Bible, it gives us a more clear or a greater understanding, we get to see the full picture. And tonight we're going to do that in the New Testament with this phrase, the name of the Lord. And we're not necessarily going to put the verses in order as they're found in the Bible as much as they line up topically. And the first thing that ought to come to mind when we say the name of the Lord is, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So, the name of the Lord is how you are saved. Uh, The uh, Acts chapter 2 is quoting from the Old Testament, which we're not going to necessarily go in. And as Peter's preaching on the day of Pentecost, he says, And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. This is not something brand new. This is not something New Testament. Uh, This is something that is in your Bible from the very beginning. Acts chapter 22, verse 16. In fact, let's just turn there for a moment and, and pick up just a little of the context and other things that are here. Okay. And uh, here we have... Uh, Paul giving his testimony in verse uh, 12 it says in one Ananias a devout man according to the law having a good report of all the Jews which dwelt there came unto me and stood and said unto me brother Saul receive thy sight and the same hour I looked upon him and he said the God of our fathers hath chosen thee that thou shouldest know his will and see that just one, and shouldest hear the voice of his mouth. For thou shalt be his witness unto all men of what thou hast seen and heard. And now, why tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized, and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Now, this was Paul's testimony. Certain groups have taken this verse completely out of context and tried to make it say that in order to be saved... You have to be baptized, that baptism actually is what washes your sins away. The problem is, how many other verses in the Bible does that contradict? Many, many, many verses. We are saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. We are redeemed through His blood. It is the shedding of blood. Now, should a person who is saved be baptized the Bible way? Absolutely. That's all Paul was saying. He's, he's, well, Ananias was saying to Paul, and Paul was relating it into his testimony, he said, what are you waiting for? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, get baptized, get rid of your sins so that you can be used of God. That's all that was being said, as said here. And again, it connects us to the name of the Lord. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and we'll find one more verse here. Dealing with salvation. I'm sorry, all the pages are flipping around for some reason. First Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11, it says, And such were some of you. And if you want to know what such is talking about, read the verses uh, ahead of that. And it gives a great big list of sinful things and sinful lifestyles. And it says, And such were some of you, but ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. The ideal here in this verse 11 is some of you were sinners of of various stripes. And and I'm sure that there were some in Corinth that uh, could have listed themselves as all of the above. But when we call upon the name of the Lord, when we ask Him to save us, here's what happens. He washes us. He sanctifies us. He justifies us. You know, there was a time when the title Christian meant like Jesus Christ. And even in certain circles, most of the time, what the world loves to do is when we do something wrong, when we don't match up to their standard of what they think a Christian is, and you call yourself a Christian. How many of you have ever had that happen? I had a fellow out here in the front steps. I think Stephen was with me when this happened. And uh, this man was, uh, uh, well, if you looked up the word inebriated, it would have his picture there in the dictionary. Uh, I mean, we just had to stand back a good ways because we were afraid if there was a spark, something was going to ignite. I mean, this guy was totally out of it. And he comes up and he says, I want you to give me money. And, of course, we have a... No money, no cash policy here. If some member of our church has a need, we, we reach out and we try to take care of that. But we're not going to give someone money to go buy alcohol or drugs. Uh, we're, we're not, our goal is not to make them a better sinner. Uh, and so I began to explain to this and he began to accuse me of not being a Christian. Because I was judgmental about his state of inebriation. And uh, I said, I'm not being judgmental. I said, God has already taken care of that. What you have done is wrong. And it's a sin in the sight. Who are you to tell me what? You know, and so we, we go on and on and on. But you see, if you have the name of the Lord, you're washed. He was still dirty. Can a Christian get drunk? Yeah. You don't lose your salvation. But a Christian shouldn't get drunk. Amen. And a Christian cannot live the life of an alcoholic. Because the Holy Spirit of God is going to do something inside of you. The name of the Lord makes you different. It separates you from the, from the world. And that is described here in these verses. And we need to understand that the name of the Lord, uh, we'll touch on this in, in a little bit, but it is our identification. When we call ourselves Christians, we are saying, I want to behave like Christ, that's what the world called them. Oh, you're just a little Jesus. You're a little Christ. You talk about this person who is the Messiah of the Jews. The Greek word is Christos. Uh, the Hebrew word is mess, um, is, uh, where we get the English word Messiah from. I'm not going to try to pronounce it in the Hebrew. And, uh, when we call upon that name, it's identification. That's why the next use we're going to find, let's go to uh, Acts chapter 10. And in Acts chapter 10, we have a group here of Gentiles that for the first time have heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. In verse 44, while Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on them which heard the word, and they of the circumcision which believed were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then answered Peter, can any man forbid water that these should not be baptized which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we? And he commanded them to be baptized, how? In the name of the Lord. So, we see that this idea, this use, this term, this phrase, the name of the Lord, we get saved by calling on the name of the Lord. When we are baptized, that is our public testimony of our salvation experience with God. When we baptize someone in this church, we say, I baptize you, my brother or sister, as the case may be, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. That's Matthew chapter 28. We are fulfilling what happened in Acts chapter 10. I remember meeting a fellow one time. He says, do you baptize in the name of the Lord? I said, we most certainly do. We baptize you in the name of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. He says, no, 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 I mean in the name of Jesus. All of a sudden, the little sirens started going off. You see, he was from what is known as a Church of Christ or Disciples of Christ background. How many of you have ever been familiar with with those people? Uh, If you ever run into them, the best advice I can give you is run the other way. Uh, they are the most confused, doctrinally, of any group that is out there. They make the Jehovah's Witnesses look sane. Uh, the only guy that has ever beat the uh, Church of Christ people is Harold Camping. I mean, uh, that guy was wrong about everything except how to spell his own name. Uh, there, there was nothing he was right about. If Harold Camping believed what he taught on the radio, I can tell you based upon what the Bible teaches, there is no hope of meeting that man on the right side of eternity. Uh, just totally nuts. And this man began an argument with me about, if you're going to be saved, you have to be baptized in the name of Jesus. Well, the Bible says the name of the Lord. Now, that word, Lord, has some meaning to it. In the Old Testament, you'll see it capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D in your King James Bible. One of the reasons why we use the King James Bible is because it's the only version in English that really gives this delineation when you see the Lord, the Lord God in the name of the Lord, capital L-O-R-D, that's talking about Jehovah God. What Moses, what God told Moses to call him on Mount Sinai in Acts chapter three, that is talking about Jehovah. I am that I am the Lord God. The word Lord means master. It means ruler. Uh, Still in England, uh, they have a group of politicians that are lords. And and you have to be born into the right family. And and you have to inherit that title. And uh, one of the things that was so important to uh, the people in the founding of this country. No God but the God of the Bible. No lords. No worship of any man. In fact, if you ever watch any uh, old uh, English movies, they'll talk about me Lord and all of this kind of stuff and uh, His Excellency and, and, and give all of these titles that, honestly belong to God, they, they passed them out to men. The men that founded this country said, we, we will have none of that. We've gotten to a point now where it's, uh, we talk about Bush and Obama as president, we, we ought to give respect to the office of the president, even if the man in it asks for none or deserves none. Uh, there is still a respect in and in a, in a title, but we do not elevate men. This idea of the name of the Lord is talking about all of the names that God has in the Bible. If you've ever met your friendly Jehovah's sicknesses, they run around and, what's the name of God? And if you ever get asked that question, you just tell them this. Read your Bible. God has a multitude of names in the Scriptures. No, no, what's his name? See, I'm not going to play games with you about your silly little questions from your watchtower. If you want to know what God's name is, open the pages of the Bible. His name is Jesus. His name is Emmanuel. His name is the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And I could go on all night, the name of the Lord. Do you realize when you get baptized in the name of the Lord, it's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. That's how that's fulfilled. We are recognizing God as best we understand Him. It is identification with the God of the Bible. And that's how we, you got saved. By calling upon the name of the Lord, you are baptized in the name of the of the Lord. Uh, turn with me to Acts chapter eight, and, and we're going to find an interesting thing here in, in Acts chapter nineteen, and, and this is a place where people really get confused about the doctrine of baptism and, and and the Holy Ghost and all of these things. But in chapter eight, we have the the Jewish uh, the the believers being persecuted by Saul and leaving and, and um, going out. And we have Philip going to Samaria. And uh, and uh, when we come here to uh, verse uh, uh, 14, it says, Now when the apostles which were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of the God, they sent... "...unto them Peter and John, who when they were come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. For as yet he was fallen upon none of them, only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then laid their hands on him, and they received the Holy Ghost." And it goes on to talk about Simon. Now, we have something happening here. We have Philip going to Samaria, preaching the gospel... And people calling upon the name of the Lord to be saved. Now, the Jewish people were actually backtracking a little bit from Acts chapter 8. They had this understanding uh, from their experience that if a person was going to be saved, if a person was going to believe God, what did he have to do? had to become a Jew first. Read your Old Testament. If you're going to follow the Old Testament, you had to become a Jew. And so they thought this, and they went to Samaria, and they said, See, the Samaritans do not have the same experience that we did on the day of Pentecost. And so Peter came down, and they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Ghost just like the disciples did on the day of Pentecost. God used that sign, that miracle, to prove on the day of Pentecost, that the Jew was saved. Here in Acts chapter 8, that the Samaritan could be saved. In Acts chapter 9, uh, 10, that the Gentiles could be saved. You see, this is what, go back to Matthew chapter 16, Jesus said to Peter, He says, I'm going to give unto thee what? The keys of the kingdom. What the keys normally do? Somebody gives you a key. They want you to open a door. Isn't that correct? I mean, when uh, uh, the week before we left for Oklahoma City for the Home Missions Conference, I stopped by Berta's office. That's the contractor we're using. And, and I gave him a key to the building. You know why? Because I wanted them to be able to get in without me having to be there. And uh, they got in. They set up all the scaffolding. In fact, they had all the work done before we got back from Oklahoma City which was a very good thing, because it's cold now. Um, And so, uh, Peter opened the door of the gospel to the Jew, Pentecost, to the half-Jew, the Samaritans, here in Acts chapter 8, to the Gentiles. Those were the keys. Peter is not sitting at the pearly gates. There are no locks on those doors. Read Revelation. It says the gates are going to be open, and there's not going to be any sun, and there's not going to be any darkness, and the city is going to be open 24 hours a day. You know, they used to lock cities at night to protect the people inside the city from people outside the city. Thieves would sneak into the city and steal, and so you built the walls and you locked the gates. God will keep His city safe. There will be nothing entering that city to bring harm. And so, we, we need to understand that they were baptized in the name of the Lord, but it was Peter that had the key, and he came, and God blessed. Then we get to one of the strangest stories in the Bible. And boy, do people love to make something out of this. Let's go to Acts chapter 19. Now, you have to remember, Acts chapter 19 is later in the ministry of Paul. Uh, This is more than likely about 25 years removed from the time that Jesus was walking here on the face of the earth. Uh, Even farther removed... uh, uh, Philip, if if you can hear... Okay, now, let's keep this going here. Twenty-five years or so later, in verse 1, it says, And it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus, and finding certain disciples, he said unto them, Have you received the Holy Ghost since ye believed? And they said unto him, We have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. And he said unto them, He said unto them, Unto what then were ye baptized? And they said, Unto John's baptism. Now you have to understand something. Jesus' ministry had been completed roughly 25 years before this emphasis here. Now, the disciples were all baptized with John's baptism. Are we correct? Jesus did not re-baptize the disciples after they were baptized by John. Because there was a man sent from God whose name was John. When you got baptized by John the Baptist, you were looking forward to the coming Messiah which had not been revealed yet. John's ministry only lasted about six months. He was then put in prison... And it was Jesus' disciples who did the baptizing from that point forward. Well, once Jesus was crucified and risen from the dead, how do you get saved? By calling upon the name of the Lord. Right? Amen? Uh, How did you get saved during Jesus' earthly ministry? Uh, By calling upon the name of the Lord. How did you get saved in the Old Testament? By calling upon the name of the Lord. You just didn't understand that Jesus was going to come and walk on earth and die on the cross and rise again from the dead. You called upon the name of the Lord as you brought your sacrifices to the temple in Jerusalem and followed what the law said. Are we still all together here? Well, now we're 25 years after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the only doctrine that these people know is John the Baptist. Somebody that heard John the Baptist preach had moved back to Ephesus. There was a big Jewish community there and had been saying, listen, we've got to prepare our hearts for the coming of the Messiah. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And John baptized him. Well, if John baptized you, then you baptize me and it'll be just like John baptizing me. He said, okay. And so they got that done. Were these people saved? Absolutely not. Because you can't believe in the coming Messiah when he's already come. That's all this passage is talking about. You cannot be saved the Old Testament way in the New Testament. You can't be saved by believing part of the gospel. And so then they believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. Then they were baptized in Jesus' name and the Holy Spirit gave attendant phenomena, proving Jews saved day of Pentecost, Samaritans saved, Acts 8, Gentiles saved. And anybody else who thinks they can get saved by believing half in the gospel or believing only in what John taught doesn't work. You've got to believe. You've got to call upon the name of the Lord. And then... If you call upon the name of the Lord, why wouldn't you be willing to be baptized in the name of the Lord? Amen. That, that's what this passage is teaching. And that's how we understand what the name of the Lord is. Now, let me read you a few other verses, because that's not all. We call upon the name of the Lord to be saved. We baptized in the name of the Lord to identify with him and his church. Acts chapter 9, verse 29, it says, And he spake boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and disputed against the Grecians, but they went about to slay him. Now, this was uh, uh, the Apostle Paul. While he was still Saul, he had gotten saved in Damascus. And he came back and he disputed with them and he spake boldly in the name of the Lord. This identification, this idea of the name of the Lord... That's how you get saved. That's what you identify with when you get baptized. But it ought to identify you in the way you speak. Amen? This is a different usage. Uh, James chapter 5 backs this up here. Take my brethren the prophets who have spoken in the name of the Lord for an example of suffering, affliction, and of patience. James talking about the Old Testament prophets. He said, look at them. They spoke in the name of the Lord. We are supposed to speak in the name of the Lord. Now, uh, I, I hope I don't confuse you by just chasing this little rabbit out. But Ephesians 4 said they were given some apostles, prophets, evangelists, and pastors and teachers. Okay, those are the four gifts of people to the church. Now, apostles, we understand. Those who were personally trained by the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why Paul was the last apostle. He said "As one born out of due time. Jesus spent time with him after his resurrection, training and preparing Paul for the ministry that he called him to. There are no living apostles today. I don't care what the Mormon church says uh, or the Jehovah's Witnesses or Uh, Many of the Pentecostal churches will call their pastor, apostle, so-and-so. They don't exist. Now, the word prophet has a connotation of being able to deliver God's direct revelation. In the Old Testament, this was always done before it was written down. Or... In the case of Jeremiah, he uttered it and Baruch wrote it down, and Baruch took the letter to the king. And he read it. If I can just say this, in our modern day sense, we have some men who are just exceptional bearers of God's revelation. How many of you enjoyed Larry Clayton when he was here preaching? How many of you have ever heard Brother Sam preach? Uh, um, Let me tell you, these, these are men with exceptional talents when it comes to a pulpit ministry. God has blessed them. Now, they would not call themselves prophets. I am not calling them prophets. But what I am simply saying is there is a small part of that office of prophet that they fulfill with a special gift that God has given them to encourage neither man pastors a church. But they travel to churches. And Brother Sam is the president of the Bible College right now. And they work encouraging and being a blessing to churches. Nothing wrong with that. Amen? And they preach in the name of the Lord. Sometimes I've been criticized for being a little too dogmatic. And my only answer is simply this. If I'm telling you what the Bible says, if I'm telling you what God says, I have the right to be as dogmatic as dogmatic can be because it's not me that has made this up. I'm giving you God's message. And and I don't believe that we do God a good service by saying, Well, Jesus said that we need to love one another. Uh, What good does that do? It makes God look like the effeminate wimp that all of the Protestants like to paint him as. Uh, I mean, that's one thing we're going to change in that Union Baptist building. They have this little section alcove that the preacher stood in so it would take his voice and put it out through the pulpit. And they got a picture of Jesus up, painted up there and long hair and all this stuff. I said... Well, Mike, we're fixing that. And he says, I'm behind you 100%. I said, I already decided that was the first thing that's getting out of here. And, and uh, well, I'm not sure how, we got to be careful how we do it, it's a little diplomatic, but, uh, uh, you know, that's not the Jesus of the Bible. When they spoke in the name of the Lord, it was with boldness, it was with confidence, it was with assurance. But if we read down here just a little further, we're going to get another one of those weird stories. It's interesting how many strange stories are associated with the name of the Lord. And in verse 13, then certain of the vagabond Jews, exorcists, took upon them to call over them which had evil spirits the name of the Lord Jesus, saying, we adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul preacheth. So there's this group the Bible uses the word vagabond. That means traveling. If we were going to use a modern-day word, we would say gypsies. Uh, that would be the idea. And, and these were people who told fortunes and and uh, cast out spells. You'd see them advertised in different places. I'm told that uh, that if you... Uh, there's certain wordings that uh, you can read and you'll know that these are Roma or gypsy people by the way their advertisements are worded about how they'll take care of spells and, 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 and protect you from evil spirits. And that's the kind of people these were. And they decided that they would use the name of the Lord to control the evil spirits. And what we're going to learn here is the name of the Lord is not a magic incantation that protects you or gives you power. You see, the name of the Lord is something you have to believe in, something you have to identify with, something that has to take control of you to the point to where it defines what you say and how you think about what you say before you say it. That is the name of the Lord. And it tells us here that uh, these uh, this evil spirit said, Jesus, I know. Paul, I know. But I don't know you. And one man attacked seven men. And all seven of them fled uh, the house with their clothes torn off and bleeding. And and everybody heard it. Now, I want you to sk- uh, look down here. I'm sorry. The, the page turned. Acts chapter uh, 19. And... Um, And uh, verse 17, it says, And this was known unto all the Jews and Greeks also dwelling at Ephesus, and fear fell on them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. You see, God's name is special. Don't ever say, Gee whiz. That's an abbreviation for Jesus Christ, actually, a slang for that term, a substitute. Uh, I don't know who came, with, came up with that. That was something that came into being about the 50s. Uh, there's lots of different things. Jesus, you, you understand, that's, that's an abbreviation of Jesus' name. We need to be careful with his name. And that's what this passage is trying to teach us. And Paul would say when the people confronted him and said, listen, God has prophesied you're not supposed to go up to Jerusalem. He said, listen, I'm not only willing to be bound, I'm willing to die for the name of the Lord Jesus. But that's not all. Colossians 3.17 tells us, And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. Sometimes people say, Pastor, is it okay for a Christian to fill in the blank? Well, here's the answer right here. Can you do that in the name of the Lord Jesus? Can you go down to the store and spend twelve bucks on a pack of cigarettes or whatever they charge now and unwrap that thing and smoke a cigarette in the name of the Lord Jesus. Could you do that? If you can, you know a different Jesus than I do. Amen? Can you go down to the store and buy a six-pack of whatever the stuff that they sell down there, inebriating beverage of any kind and drink one of those and offer it to one of your friends in the name of the Lord Jesus? Can you do that? don't think so. This will solve some problems. If you have something that's questionable, can I do this in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks, giving honor to Him? If you can't, then chances are you ought not be doing whatever it is that you're doing. It's just that simple. You see, the name of the Lord teaches us things. By the way, it teaches us how to pray. It says we're supposed to pray in the name of the Lord. Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Now, I believe the simplest understanding of that verse when it talks about anointing with oil is not talking about me going down to the store and buying botanical oil and tapping you on the forehead with it or any of those things. Oil was one of the best, and still is today, one of the best medicines you can get. If you have an ear infection, olive oil works better than most antibiotics do. Unless it's some super serious infection that you just can't get, you'll, get, you'll heal faster by putting olive oil in your ear than you will by taking antibiotics. I believe God expects us to take advantage of some of the medical things that we have today. But understanding, it's not the doctor, it's not the pill. We need to trust and pray in the name of the Lord that God will give us health. Amen? Uh, uh, When we go, whenever I've had to go under the knife, which has not been very many times, praise God... Uh, I don't go looking for the best Christian surgeon. I go looking for the best surgeon and then pray to the God of heaven to guide him while he operates or she operates. Um, uh, I, uh, I, I trust in the name of the Lord. We ought to pray. And when we pray in the name of the Lord, we've said this many times. We end our prayers often traditionally. In Jesus' name, amen. Are you praying? For what Jesus would pray for. That, that'll that solve a lot of problems with prayer. The name of the Lord will guide you in what you ought to be prayed for. And, and the last several verses that we have not touched on the deal with the name of the Lord. They use this phrase in the New Testament. Talk about Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. They said... As he rode the donkey down the Mount of Olives into Jerusalem, they said, Blessed is he, I mean, I'm sorry, and the multitudes that went forth followed, crying, Hosanna to the Son of David, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest. And in several of the Gospels after, in Matthew chapter 23, this was during the week before Jesus was crucified. He said, for I say unto you, ye shall not see me henceforth, till ye shall say, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. I want you to understand, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord is a praise that is worthy of Jesus Christ. And one day he's coming back. He's going to sound a trumpet. And guess how we can greet him? Blessed is he that cometh. In the name of the Lord to redeem his own. That's us. That's the church. You see, if, if you like things like this, and I hope this has not been too tedious for you, but you can follow the full circle. As I approach to God in salvation, I call upon the name of the Lord to be saved. I'm baptized in the name of the Lord. I should speak in the name of the Lord. I should do my deeds in the name of the Lord. I should pray in the name of the Lord. And one of these days, He's coming back for me. And when I greet Him, Blessed is He that cometh in the name of the Lord. It makes a full circle, doesn't it? From the beginning of my relationship until I get to heaven to be with Him. And we will praise Him for all eternity, for He is worthy, because He came in the name of the Lord. And He died on the cross, and He rose again from the dead, and He made us priests and kings unto our God. And He came in the name of the Lord to pull His church out before the tribulation came. And then at the end of the tribulation, He comes, and His name is the Word of God, and He will set up His kingdom for a thousand years upon this earth. And you know what? All the way through, we can say, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Amen? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you. And Lord, we ask that you would encourage us in this phrase, the name of the Lord. Remind us that we are saved by calling upon the name of the Lord. And that our prayers and our daily deeds and our speech ought to reflect the name of the of the Lord. And that greeting ought to be ever ready upon our lips, for we know not when the trumpet will sound. That we may be able to join in with the countless thousands upon thousands. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. We ask you to encourage us in your word. In Jesus' name we pray. And we'll take just a moment here. The Lord has spoken to